I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, you know the drill. You know what I'm going to say next. It is that time of the week where myself, Ollie Geel, and Australia's third favourite son, he's bumped himself up from fourth to third, Mark Schwarzer. We like to sit down and try a bottle of the Burgundy Grape. We love our red wine here on the Two Sharp Reds. We'll discuss it. We'll talk through football. And then at the end of the episode... Uh, we will compare that bottle of wine to a player past or present. But Mark, it is a special episode for many reasons. One, um, the running order ha- wrote itself. Uh, I did no work, very little work this week because it's pretty clear what we're going to be talking about. But two, uh, we've, we've gone international again. You know, we've, we've done the two shut reds now, get this, in England, Spain. Uh, I was in Italy for an episode. Uh, I think potentially you were in Austria. I think uh, I was, for, yes. For, uh, for uh, France as well. France, yes. Uh, Miami, Miami. Yes. And then finally now I'm in Bermuda. So today I've changed things up. I'm not going for a bottle of red wine. I'm going for a local amber Bermudan refined rum. Oh, that's a cop out. That is really is a cop out. How's that a cop out? Well, Come you on, know, first it's... week, first week, I've got to celebrate, you know. Oh, geez. You could have had it on the side as like maybe a little aperitive on the side. Uh, look, I know what you're saying, but I just thought I'm a little excited. I'm in my new home. So, look, if you can bear with me for this week, I'll stick with the rum. And then I have found, I bought the, the lovely people who run the Airbnb. I did find them a nice Penfolds wine, which we know I, I love um, from the, the South Australian region. So, look, I'll get back on board the wine for next week. But uh, I'll stick with the Gosling's Bermudan rum. I, I think you just need to be a little bit more cultured, really, because you, you've you've gone back. You reverted too often back to the Aussie wines. Let's be honest. I think oh, you know yeah. the amount of time you spent in Europe, the two years you've been in Europe, far too often yeah. you were reminiscing. You were going back to your go-to wines in Australia. You need to broaden your your portfolio a little bit more. I know in Italy you had a bottle of Italian wine and all that sort of stuff, yeah. but you just did it too infrequently. Um, I went to Italy too infrequently. Well, that (laughs) too, but you also had wines from different parts of Europe too infrequently. You know, for my Can I guess what wine you're having this week? Go on. Yes, then, uh, while you're giving me all of this. um, You, uh, Rioja from the south of Spain. (coughs) Uh, I've got an Italian wine today. Italian, okay. All right, fair enough. Orgio Primitivo, 2012. Ooh, lovely. Yes, and it's... um, uh, Primitivo is p- packed full of spicy black currant, rose, uh, raspberry fruit flavors with a rich velvet finish. Grapes were grown um, in the southeast of Italy and especially selected by our team of winemakers. Ideal for hearty meat dishes and tomato based pasta dishes, or on its own with family and friends. That's what I like the best. That last bit was the best bit. Well, I don't like how they've suggested the food it goes with, and it's just essentially every bit of Italian food that you can possibly have. I mean, that's you say that I'm a cop out. That's well, totally a cop me, out. Yeah, but most wines are actually, most wines come back with a, a really broad kind of uh, selection of food groups that you could actually have it with. And I think this is pretty good. Hardy meat dishes, so like hardy, really yeah. nice and strong, which is which is Tom great, hardy. as opposed to maybe a pork dish or, or a chicken dish. Um, sure. So, and then obviously tomato-based pasta dishes. So they're a little bit more specific, and I like that. Yeah. I, I like the fact that they are actually being a little bit more specific. Now, as I said uh, in my opening monologue, which I have to say was probably my smoothest uh, monologue opening mon- in, a, in a long time, um, the running order today uh, really wrote itself. Um, it's pretty clear that there's a lot we need to get through, and I suppose we, we should start with the relatively sort of breaking news in the last couple of hours that Chelsea have sacked Frank Lampard. Now it's been pretty clear over the last few weeks and their last few performances, take away their FA cup win against Luton that even then there were some question marks. We'll get to that later. Uh, That clearly their form was dipping, but am I right in saying that strong rumors and murmurings of, of Frank losing his job? I, I, didn't really hear many of those. It was more just, you know, disgruntled fans. It, it felt very quick that you woke up today on, on a Monday and it was, yep, it's happening today. And then within a couple of hours, see you later, Frank. Yeah, I think, no, it's been rumbling on for a while. And if you go back to probably even November time, there was a piece written that in, in I think, one of the uh, one of the main publications that, that there was a, a possibility or a strong possibility, actually, well, not even a strong possibility, that, well, that they 
were alleging that Chelsea were already in the process of looking for a replacement for Frank. And and one of one of the things that was mentioned was because of his persistence in terms of wanting to bring in Declan Rice from West Ham. And that the club, Declan Rice was at the club as a, as a youngster. They let him go. They released him. And one of the things that's been been reported is that he, uh, the club were were saying that they didn't want to bring a player back that they released and spend all that money on because they felt that it wasn't the right decision. It wasn't the right look that they wanted to portray. And that, that Frank was, though, pretty persistent and he was desperate to get him. So I, I, I think that... That was one of the rumours. Um, and, and I suppose at Chelsea, what's, what's always been apparent is that there is a system in place, there's a hierarchy in place that make a lot of those decisions or most of the decisions on player recruitment. On that occasion, managers have had a say in who they can bring in. Um, certainly they are, they are um, they're asked about their opinions, um, but I think most of the time the club will ultimately make those decisions because they're a club player. And the high turnover of managers at Chelsea is, is that example that if they continuously rely just on a manager's selection of a player, geez, they'd have a lot of players and turnover of players would be enormous because the turnover of managers is. And, and the minute they're, they're releasing managers, there's more often than not new managers come in and they don't want the previous players. So I think it, I think at Chelsea as well that, that you've, if you look at all the new signings that, that, that took place in the summer, really only probably Ben Chilwell and Mendy have kind of definitely Ben Chilwell has kind of hit the, the heights that he, that he had at Leicester, albeit has been injured quite frequently. Mendy is probably at times, I mean, I, I don't know, kind of from my perspective, a little bit exceeded expectations uh, to begin with, but that's maybe because I, I didn't see him play before and I, I, I didn't really know anything about him. Um, but then he's also tailed off a little bit. I think um, if you look at Thiago Silva, he's probably also the only one that's really lived up to, to the ability that, that he's had before and shown elsewhere. The rest have really struggled. And I, I think that obviously the club hierarchy will know more what's going on behind the scenes. And they must have felt that, and then and by, by virtue of their press release stating that they didn't believe that Frank was able to turn around the predicament they find themselves in. He wasn't the man to lead them out of this, this problem. Um, shows you, for me, as an indicator that they felt that from knowing more information, knowing having, having personal information of what goes on behind the scenes, that they're able to make that decision that they believe that uh, we need to move on. The differences are potentially too great. Um, maybe they felt that he wasn't able, capable of making those, those changes that he needed to make to, to bring the best out of, out of the, the new recruits in particular. I mean, time and time again, he's gone back to the more established players, the younger players that he used last season to try and help find some rhythm. I think also one of the other things that hasn't helped him is the number of changes he's made to his starting 11 over the course of the season thus far. And I I only can think of as a player, and I can imagine he would have felt the same way as a player in in a group, in a squad, that if a manager continuously swapped and changed players, there would be enormous sense of frustration and particularly when the results weren't matching. So if, if you keep making changes and you keep winning games, it's very difficult for players to then contest those decisions. But the fact that Chelsea then went in a rut and, and have struggled to, to find any sort of consistency, even the games they won, even they beat Fulham, Fulham were down to 10 men like within, I think, 40 minutes of the game. They struggled to break them down. They struggled to actually win that game. Ultimately, they did. And again, it was one of the young players that, that bailed them out in Mason Mount. And then the West Ham game wasn't, it was a 3-0 win, but it wasn't overly convincing. Mm. So, and then add that to the fact that there was a lot of games in there that they lost um, and against the big teams as well. Chelsea expect to win games. They expect to be up there and even more so when they spend over £200 million on, on players. Um, and the strong rumours, obviously, is that uh, Thomas Tuchel is going to be the one replacing Frank Lampard, which kind of makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, at time of recording, at least, that, uh, that that's not uh, official news, but certainly rumours, it looks looks to be that way. Um, you speak about, um, you know, the board, you know, having, fi- you know, the feeling that they don't trust Frank in this situation. They, they clearly trusted him with the money, though, in the first place. So what does that say about the board? We know that there's that the, the model at Chelsea with, the, with what they, or with how they deal with managers. We, we, we know that. But it just surprises me that they trust a young manager with over two hundred million pounds, but then don't trust him to to fix it when times. Let's be serious; they, you know, they're not in a terrible spot. They are, in, in a sense, 
but you know when we're talking about the likes of Mikel Arteta only two weeks ago being in a relegation fight. It's like, yeah, but Mikel Arteta didn't. Where's spend, the trust? Yeah, but Mikel Arteta didn't spend over two hundred million pounds. No, but what I mean one is one transfer if, window. If you give someone the keys to do that in the first place, then where's why is there no trust? But I don't think Chelsea gave him the keys to do so. So when you say gave him the keys, Frank, I don't think, I don't think any manager, I'm not just saying this is Frank, I don't think any single manager at Chelsea, particularly in the last 20 years, has had the sole control on who he brings in and, and lets go out of the club. So when you say they've given him the trust of 200 million, well, they've given him the trust to work with that group of players with the young players that he brought through and helped establish, which is an amazing job that he did, absolutely amazing, and then the additions in the summer where the club sanctioned transfers, and I'll go back to it, the, tra- the club has their, their policy, they have a hierarchy in place that dictate who comes and goes from the club. Yes, it'll be also a, a, an input from the manager, but ultimately they have a group of people in, in, in various positions that will contribute to the selection, the buying and selling of players. So that if any manager leaves or, or is relieved, relieved, relieved of their duties, the next manager will come in and go, and the club will go, these are our players. These are Chelsea players. We decide who comes and goes. Yes, you can have an influence, of course. However, we pick and choose who comes and goes to this club. So then basically what they've done is they've given the opportunity to work with these players, whether or not, and, and regardless of the fact that I don't believe he fully had a say in who came and, and, and left, so it's up to him then to coach them, to manage them, to get them to play a style of football that's successful enough to be up there challenging for the title. And unfortunately, it hasn't worked for him. And, and part of that reason has to be the fact that he failed to find a, a consistent number, 11, 12, 13 players that he relied on each week. And I know that when you want to compete for the very top, you need to be able to rest players. You need to be able to change players around. You have to utilize your squad but you can't do it as often as he did it because you're going to come unstuck and you're going to, you're going to struggle for consistency players who may have been in form and they're going to struggle because they play well, find themselves in for a game or two, then maybe not score another goal or or don't do, you know, don't particularly have a huge impact like they may have done the first game. And all of a sudden they find themselves out of the team. And that's really hard for a player. You lose confidence really, really quickly. And also you get quite annoyed very, very quickly. So where does this leave Frank now? It's been, I suppose, I think if we can rewind to when he joined Chelsea's manager, it was the big question mark, was the big fear. Is it now, in terms of his managerial record, he's had a season with Derby that we we know you've got your thoughts that he did decently well. but I think he exceeded expectations at Derby. To get in the playoffs like he did, I actually think he did a really good job. So he's got that. We can give him a, you know, a tick for that. Well done. You got into the playoffs. But then you've gone in, what, a season and a half or two seasons with Chelsea and you got the sack. So uh, where does this leave half. him now? Season and a half. So where does that leave him now? Well, the first season I thought he was superb. Not being able to buy a single player in the transfer window, losing players beforehand, promoting youth players. They finish, they finish fourth. You, I mean, I, I think it's an absolute superb job that he did last season. And I think way beyond anyone's expectation. Nobody, nobody gave him a chance to accomplish what he did. A young, inexperienced manager coming to the helm, running a club like Chelsea Football Club, having to promote youth players within which they, they've done it on the odd occasion, but no way near to the magnitude of what they did last, how they did it last season. And if you look at it, I think it was, was it December? He was top of the table? Yeah, it was, yeah. So... It's not like you look at Chelsea and go, he's had a bad six months at Chelsea. He hasn't. He's had a bad two months and he's been sacked. So for me, so far, his manual career has been very, very good. And it's only been the last two months where he's struggled. So if you put that all in together, I was very, very surprised he was sacked today. I really was. I thought that they would give him more time because of the fact that it really has only been two months. Yes, there are 11 points, I think it is, off the top right now. That's only 11 points. We're still over, you know, half the season still to play. And I know there's a lot still to make up. Will they win the title? No, they won't win the title. I don't, I, I, highly unlikely. Can they still finish Champions League? Absolutely they can, because they're more than capable of doing so. But they obviously felt that not making the change, then they wouldn't, if they hadn't made the change, that they wouldn't have finished in that, at the very least, Champions League position. And... Yeah. 
I think that because they've invested so heavily, and I say the club has invested so heavily in in a core group of players, and particularly two German players, um, and I think also they want to go a, a slightly different route to what they previously done. So Allegri was an opportunity, a possibility of coming to the club. I think the fact that uh, Antonio Conte and Surrey weren't particularly great. They weren't great experiences for the club. I know they did win the title, but I still don't think they had a really great experience. And I think it's left a little bit of a bitterness, a bit of taste in their mouth after they left the club. So I always felt more confident that they were going to go a different route as opposed to another Italian manager. And Thomas Tuchel is the ideal replacement if you're going to make a replacement because he's available now. There's no worries about haggling with another club, trying to buy him out, whatever it is. He's there and he's ready to go. And he's done well. He did well at PSG. Let's be honest. Made the Champions League final last season. Yes, won the league domestically all the time pretty much because that's what PSG should be doing. And I I get that. But he's also proven in European football that he can match it and he can do well. Um, And I think the fact that the big reason is they didn't want to go Italian again. And also you've got Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. Kai Havertz is probably the overwhelming one spending that much money on a player that has so much ability. But Chelsea fans have seen, I would say, probably 1% of his ability so far. And do we think another manager will be able to bring that out? Or is it just the league? Or is it the Mm. pace? or, Or is it the manager? No, I don't think it's the league. I don't think it's the manager. Sorry, I don't think it's, sorry, the the pace of the league, the league. Um, The player has to take a lot of responsibility. It goes without saying. But there is an element of, you know, if you're the manager, the buck stops with you. So uh, there's all sorts of rumours that have come out that players have been disgruntled about the manager, lack of information, lack of of, um, uh, clarity in the way that they want to play. And, and. You don't know what part of that is true and what's what's just made up and it kind of trying to find a justification in, in the reason why Frank's left uh, been been relieved of his duties. But when you look and I've watched Chelsea a lot this season, when you watch them play, they have an abundance of talent and abundance of attacking options. But at times when I watch them, particularly of late, I found really frustrating in terms of there seem to be so many players playing the same way, getting in each other's ways, wide players always tucking in and rather always coming in rather than staying out wide. Ziyech, I find, is a little bit... It's almost like the front four, do what you want to do. Just go out there and create and do what you do because you're, you're fantastic players, you can do it. For me, it was all too predictable in the way they played at times. Everyone was getting in players' ways. They were trying always getting... Kai Havertz looked for me like a lost a lost uh, you know, kid in a playground, no friends, didn't know what he was supposed to do, didn't know. He was told to play a game he's never played before in his life and go out there and just go and play, learn the rules as you go. And that's kind of, the, I mean, it's probably not a great example, but it's the way that I kind of interpreted it. It was a bit, he was very lost. And that then, when you have players that look very, very lost, I think you know, you've got to go to the manager and say, okay, hang on. Why is he struggling so much? Why does he look like he's directionless? Why does he look like he doesn't understand the tactics? Um, and then and, and the buck has to stop with someone. And always clubs will do it. Clubs will ultimately, very rarely, do clubs back a manager when the team is playing so badly. Well, well so badly. It's a bit hard. But yeah, no, no, not playing at the level that you'd expect Chelsea to play at and, and, what, and how Chelsea have played at earlier on in the season. So just a couple more things on this, this news that you know, really, really, tell you what, it really woke me up with the, with the Bermudan time difference as well. It was almost my alarm clock. Couldn't believe it. Um, where does this leave, do you think, the fans? Because I had a good look uh, at some of their comments on, on the press release on Facebook. Now, the model that we've talked about before with being able to recycle managers at Chelsea within, you know, say a two-year kind of system, that feels like that's okay when a manager has no relation to Chelsea. You know, and they just come in, like Conte, win the league, get out. Or Sari, come in, win Europa League, get out. But this is super frank. You know, I, I, I worry. Is there a, a... Do you think that this could be the start of maybe changing how they go about things? Because I just get the feeling that 
if fans were, you know, you know, packing into Stanford Bridge right now, you know, yes, they'd be frustrated with performances, but I think they'd also be really frustrated with the way that it's been dealt with. And it sort of feels a little harsh and a little quick, a little bit like ripping the Band-Aid off, I suppose. But. Listen, fans, you know, there's, there's different sections of fans. Some fans are, uh, you know, are, are pretty, pretty fickle. Others are very patient, very loyal some um, are just, you know, nouveau-riche fans and want success, have had success, used to it, want to continue. Um, I don't I, – I think, you know, I think certainly Chelsea fans would have been very, very frustrated in the way that Chelsea have been playing. And, and, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who's in the helm, at the helm anymore. If the team continuously plays um, frustrating football, nowhere near the expectation, too many players are out of form, lacklustre at times – it doesn't matter who's at the helm. I mean, Jose Mourinho, who was absolutely legendary status at the club, fell out with the fans. The fans turned against him in the end, or parts of the fans. There's no difference. You know, obviously, it, it possibly takes a little bit longer, and it's probably harder for some of the fans to fall out or, or to turn against Frank. But what they do is they judge him. There's Frank as a player, and there's Frank as a manager. And as long as that line is kept, which I'm sure it will be, because Frank is an absolute legend, you know, he's a, he's a top guy and he's an absolute legend of a player. And he's very obviously new still and fresh in his managerial career. And I think, I think every Chelsea fan would have been very concerned with the falling away, uh, the dropping off the pace, um, the, the lack of form of so many players. And why have so many players really struggled to settle in? And when that happens, you, you're always going to ask questions. So I don't think... I don't think necessarily um, Chelsea. Chelsea, listen, Chelsea have been ruthless, but they've always been. I mean, Frank said it himself. He knew when he t- took over the job as a manager how Chelsea Football Club is run, how it deals with their managers. He knows that. Robert, Roberto Di Matteo won the Champions League, and then I think eight games later in the next season, he got the sack. And then they're, they're very ruthless. Um, I think the fact that they released a statement and Roman Abramovich has been quoted in that statement of, 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 of the acknowledgement of, of, of how much respect he has for Frank speaks volumes that the decision wasn't taken lightly, but it's also a decision that he's very consistent with his, with his, with his decision-making in the past or the club is. Okay, Mark, let's change direction a little bit. I want to talk about Liverpool now. They've been another huge surprise packet. Do you reckon we'll, we'll see Klopp get the sack? Tomorrow? What do you reckon? Well, um, obviously, one of the, the big radio stations here, 606 Phone In, um, was an interesting call. I think it was one of the first times uh, since Jurgen Klopp's been manager that a Liverpool a Liverpool fan, I mean, probably the diehard Liverpool fans will say he's not really a Liverpool fan if he thinks that Jurgen Klopp should be sacked. Um, <clears throat> imagine, imagine, I couldn't, you'd have to just laugh afterwards and say, nah, sorry, couldn't go through with that. There's sorry. no way in a million years Liverpool are going to sack Jurgen Klopp. <laughs> I mean, even if they end up this season finishing out of the top four, there's no way in the million years that I believe that they will sack him. I, I really don't. I, I think the way that he's been able to deal with the pressure of being manager at Liverpool Football Club, winning the Champions League, winning the Premier League, first time in the club's history of winning the Premier League, um, obviously not, not, not the, not the uh, Division One title, but the Premier League, cool. um, kind of almost breaking that kind of like little bit of a hoodoo they had on themselves a little bit in the club. Um, it's been phenomenal, right? And the style of football, the emergence of the talent, relatively, relatively pretty good transfer dealings. You have to say, you know, the way they've been clever in in doing their dealings. Of course, they've been helped with the sale of Coutinho, but they were helped with the sale of Coutinho because they then they were very very determined to keep hold of him until such point where they believed, right? Okay, if you're going to buy him, you're going to have to pay a premium. And they knew that Barcelona were desperate for him, you know. So that is just incredibly good business now. Um, you know, to look at the players that they have and the way they've been able to bring through players through Andy Robinson buying him for for peanuts, getting, you know, you look at um, Alexander Arnold, how good he's become as a young player. Um, if you look at a lot of the emerging young players that are coming through this Liverpool squad, it's exciting. Add the fact they've already got arguably the best front three in the in the world, albeit a little bit out of form of late. But Firmino yesterday was absolutely brilliant, and there's no no surprise to me that when he was brilliant, 
Salah's on the score sheet again. So you're talking about their form. Um, if we go back to uh, their nil all draw against Man United, they then lose at home for the first time in how long was it? It was two years. Over two years, yeah. Over, over two, two years. years. Which, again, to, it's to remarkable. So then, how, how, how silly does that Liverpool fan come across now when he's saying he thinks he's totally. lost his magic and he should be sacked? Because the fact that he's over two years, I mean, obviously it's not the record, right? Because Chelsea, I think, still hold that record. But still, yep. over two years not losing a Premier League home game. That, that's insane. It's madness. And I think, you know what, I can kind of understand at least their, from a fan's perspective, their anger and frustration, given that it was Burnley. You know, if you lose to Manchester City 1-0, you go, well, you know what, that was probably going to happen eventually. Yeah, but they then it's always going to be one of those teams. It's always going to be one of those totally. teams, I believe, because it, it's, it's like in any, in, any, in any sport, in any competition, it's so much more difficult to make sure that you're at the highest, at the peak of your game against the lesser teams. It's it's far easier to be at that at that level, at least with the right attitude and the right um, application against the likes of Manchester United being kind of like arguably their biggest derby, you know, against Everton, you know, uh, to play against Arsenal, Chelsea, whatever the rivalry that's there, the the big the big hitters against each other. <clears throat> it's easier to lift yourself for those games than it is to a, to a game against say say Burnley. So to have gone undefeated for, for two and a half or two and a bit years, whatever it is, is phenomenal. And I kind of not surprised if lost to a lesser named team or, or, or a smaller team. So then we fast forward to yesterday uh, when they played in the fourth round of the FA Cup against Man United. They lose 3-2. They did go ahead through Salah. Uh, they lose that 3-2, but Man United were, were brilliant, really. I'm now looking ahead to their next few fixtures, Mark. They then, they take on Thursday... They play Tottenham in London. Yep. They then stay in London for a Sunday game against West Ham, who ordinarily you would think is a pretty easy win. But I tell you what, with West Ham's form uh, and given the fact they lost 1-0 to Burnley uh, and how much West Ham love a 1-0 win, uh, you never know. They then go to Brighton. You go, okay, that could be a win for Liverpool. They've then got City and Leicester City. Yep. I mean... And then Leipzig in Champions League, then Everton. Yeah. And so you're looking at that and you're going, well, I tell you what, based on current form, the game against Brighton's their only sure-fired win. I think there's a lot of positives to take out of uh, yesterday's performance against Manchester United for Liverpool. You know, the fact that, that uh, Firmino was, was very, very good. The fact that Salas scored two. Um, you know, I, I think that they're, 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 the whole... What the approach to the game, the performance away from them, taking away the Crystal Palace performance this season when they played away at Palace. Other than that, it's up there with being their best performance away from home, even though they didn't have the result that they wanted. Um, you're right. I mean, Spurs is going to be a really tough game because if you look at Tottenham this season under Jose Mourinho against the likes of Man City, Arsenal at home, you know, they played a style of football that, that, that they, they nullified the opposition and they got the result. They won both those games. They're more than capable, Spurs, of doing the same thing against Liverpool. Liverpool's biggest Achilles heel, and it's not rocket science, is the fact that they've lost their two best, best players, or two, definitely one of their best players in, in, in Virgil van Dijk and also their other best central, central defender in Joe Gomez for, for such a long period of time. Add to the mix that Jota's out and has been out for a while. And it's been, been such a cruel blow to them. And I don't, you know, the, the, the issue is there as well that clearly Liverpool, like so many other clubs, have been, been, been hampered by COVID. The finances are not there like other clubs. They've also got a very strict structure in place, uh, transfer structure in place. They, I think if they could, they would go out and buy another centre-half. And, and, and there's a couple of really, really good ones out there that I don't think is necessarily huge amounts of money. I mean, there's talk of Upper Meccano at RB Leipzig, who supposedly only has a 40 million uh, euro or pound buyout clause. I'm not quite sure exactly which one it is. For me, that's, that's a, if you look at Virgil van Dijk at 75 million, and I, I know Virgil van Dijk is a phenomenal player, but at the time, was he as good as what he is now or has been? No, no. but he certainly had the potential. Well, he certainly hadn't done it at that level like he is at Liverpool. Uber McCarno's played Champions League football and played really well, played in the Bundesliga, which is 
a very good competition. Obviously, it's not the same level as the Premier League week in, week out. I mean, yes, there'd be a lot of people who probably argue that point. Um, but a top, top player, and he's only 20 years old or 21 years old. So I would, if I were Liverpool, I'd be, I'd be snapping a hand off for trying to buy him. But then I'd actually go for his, for his, for his partner in center, center, central defence at uh, RB Leipzig, Kanate, because I think he's actually better than Upa Makano. Halftime drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds. I tell you what, one thing that we'll definitely be talking um, about very soon, you touched on their transfers. There's been a few big transfers, some big rumours as well. I cannot wait to uh, talk about it. Um, but I want to – I need to do this for your, for your sake. Um, uh, this week, in my first day allowed out of quarantine in Bermuda, I went and found the football stadium, took a few photos. Actually saw uh, – took a photo as well. I sent it to your uh, van – with an Arsenal sticker on the back. So I thought, you know, well, oh. I'll be so you're, feeling, this you're feeling more at home now, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, but I've just started to try, uh, you know, at least start to take an interest in the Bermudan uh, premier division. Uh, there are only nine games in, so I can, you know, I've got time to really um, hitch my star to a wagon, but I want to pick a team for you as well. So I'm just going to read out a few of the bigger names uh, of clubs and, you know, just see what you think of them. We've got X roads. X roads. I like. X roads, um, Southampton. <laughs> so any Saints fans out there can probably there just go. jump on board. That that's pretty simple. Um, the Devonshire Colts. Ooh, oh yeah, I like I like that. We've got the uh, the North Village Rams. Yep. Uh, the Somerset Trojans. Oh wow, pretty creative with their my, names, aren't they? My team, Dandy Town. <laughs> yeah, of course. The Dandy Town. Uh, and then um, we've got the Devonshire Cougars. So that must be the big derby, the Devonshire I'm surprised Cougars. you haven't gone for them. That would be, yeah, 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 very true. Very true. But, you know, once I'm in Dandytown, I'm not leaving. And then the last one on top of uh, the table with a game in hand, if you don't mind, uh, Robin Hood. <laughs> oh. <laughs> How good is that? Yeah, I mean... That, that's, um, I have to say, in some sense, some of them are pretty creative. Yeah. However, they are using pretty well-established and well-known names, aren't they? What? Cougar Town? I mean, sorry. Well, Cougar Town, uh, that's a good one. Yeah, Cougar Town's <laughs> a great one. And I'm surprised, like I said, you're not right up there as being a main number one fan. <laughs> then we've got Robin Hood, Dandy Town, like Dandy Town. Come on, that's... No, 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 I, no, no, you're picking out the ones that are obviously aren't. But uh, Robin Hood, I mean, obviously he's well known. I mean, gosh, oh, okay. your football team, yeah. Robin Hood. What is that? Here it is, the, the big moment that they get a glowing endorsement from the great Mark Schwarzer. Which team are you choosing to go for in the Bermuda Premier Division? Right. I, I'm just looking at the table, right? You've gone for yeah. Dandy Town. I'm going to go for, oh, gosh, who do I go for? Yeah, I've got to go for Somerset Trojans because they're one place behind you, one point behind you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just want to make it competitive. I could have easily have gone, I'm going for Robin Hood and I'm, I'm going to run away with the league, but I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to go with Somerset Trojans. So if I'm not mistaken, Dandytown take on Somerset Trojans in exactly seven days' time. Oh, wow. It does too. 31st of this, of this <laughs> month at seven o'clock on a Sunday evening. Absolutely brilliant. All right, Mark, let's uh, regrettably go back to the Premier League. I know oh, I can okay, talk about then. the Bermuda Premier League for hours and the big game against Dandy Town and your boys, the Trojans, um, uh, in seven days' time. But there was one slice of news that I thought was going to dominate the show up until, of course, we found out that Frank Lampard has been sacked as Chelsea manager. Did you know that, that Chelsea have sacked Frank Lampard? Oh, really? Just I, I just know. saw it yeah. come through now as breaking news. Yeah, 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 big time. Uh, the, the breaking news in our hearts as Australian fans, and of course you would have a, a special connection given the fact he's a Socceroos goalkeeper. Matty Ryan's found himself a club at least for the rest of the season, but who knows? Uh, <clears throat> so before I even say the sentence, I want to really just nail the fact that Brighton's technically third choice keeper right now has gone on loan to Arsenal and not the other way around, that Arsenal's third choice has gone to Brighton. It's amazing the world wor- way the world works, Mark. Obviously, Matty isn't a third choice. Um, certainly not at Brighton, that's for sure. Um, and, and, you know, listen, the manager's obviously well within his uh, um, 
he's in his, you know, he's, he's, he's the boss and he can make, he makes the decision. So well, then his rights to make that decision. Sanchez is the, is the new number one. And for me, when that happens, there's clearly been a, not necessarily a falling out, but obviously the manager's made it absolutely clear that he, that he doesn't want money at the club anymore because he was very, very quick to come out also and say that Maddie can go and so, like if another opportunity comes along, he can go. I mean, I've been in situations before at clubs where, you know, you've come under pressure, you've had a falling out with a manager. I even had a falling out with Steve McLaren at Middlesbrough back in, you know, in um, 2000. Well, it was basically, yeah, it was the end of 2005 into sort of like, it was like middle to late December, I had a falling out with Steve McLaren. And I, I basically, I handed in a transfer request and even though I fell out with him and I wasn't in the team anymore, I still found myself on the bench and uh, they wouldn't let me go. So I, a similar issue, not, not a similar issue. I, I didn't fall out with anyone other than I was, I had an opportunity to go to Arsenal back in 2010 when I was at Fulham and I wasn't playing. I was injured at the time um, and the club just wouldn't let me go. So and they don't want you to go because obviously they still see a future with you. And that's why they want to keep you there. And clearly at Brighton, um, you can see the manager didn't see a future with Maddie at the club. And that's why he's allowed him to go. He's certainly not a number three at Brighton. That goes without saying. Um, and, and it's a hard one. So he'd be looking at going, right, I'm at Brighton. I'm number three. I'm not even on the bench each week. I've got no chance of playing because he, he also played um, – uh, steal in the in the cup game. So when Maddie, you would think Maddie would play, possibly yep. he didn't play. Um, so he knows he's got no chance. He's obviously had a discussion with the club, with the manager, and he clearly doesn't want him there. So he's got to look elsewhere. We are in a very different environment these days, aren't we? With the whole COVID, the whole pandemic. So it's just not as easy to go abroad and find something, you know, or to do something, you know, go somewhere else. And he's an Arsenal fan. There's an opportunity to go to Arsenal. The re- the realistic side of it is, and I know he said, you know, I, I'm not I'm not a number two, and I like being a number two, or I haven't been a number two very often, and I'm here to put pressure on, and I want to play. That's all well and good, but Berliner's number one, and unless Berliner gets injured, or has a dramatic dramatic drop in in form, Manny's going to find it really really difficult to get into the side. I've, I, I I got no doubt he'll play some games, no doubt whatsoever. Um, it's it's a tough one, and, it, and it's due to circumstances why I believe he made that decision. If if the if circumstances were different, I think he'd make a different decision. I mean, I made that decision when I was forty years old. I went to Chelsea, and so that's very very different time of your your career when you make that sort of decision. I was always of the opinion that I wanted to play first team football, but again, it was very different circumstances, different environment. That there was not a global pandemic. Everything has changed so much. A lot of clubs out there that potentially probably had the financial resources to bring in a player like Manny, no longer do because of the pandemic. So his options were probably so, so heavily reduced. And he felt that, you know what, I'm going to go to a club like Arsenal. We're going to contest for winning major honours, work out the table. I'll get the odd game here and there. And if I play well enough, maybe, maybe I'll keep my spot. Maybe Bert Lennon will get injured and have a longer term injury. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? Maybe he goes in a bad run of form. I get in, play well, and the manager will keep me. You, you don't know. So, and it's only a short-term fix. So Maddie's probably thought, you know what, new environment, new opportunity, and let's see how we go. Um, and he just needed to get out of Brighton, which I, I also totally understand. I can see it being a long-term deal, to be honest, at the end of the year, given the fact that when we've seen Runarsson play, uh, when he's come in, since or since he joined the Gunners, when Martinez left, He's not up to the standard of a of a you know a team that wants to be pushing for a title. When the number two comes in, it doesn't have to be better than the number one, but you need someone who's who's not. He he was poor. He was really disappointing. So I think that if if Maddie's happy in that environment, if he's happy to be number two but pushing for number one and playing, we know that it'll be interesting to see whether or not he plays in the Europa League. But generally, if you start from the season right right from the work go, he will play League Cup, FA Cup, you know Europa League. So this game's there to be had for him. Why not? It's a, I think it's a very exciting move. Listen, there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever that, that Arsenal come in the season won't want to sign him. There's no doubt. I've got absolute 100% convinced, unless, unless Matty has an absolute disaster, which he won't, I've got no doubt whatsoever that Arsenal want to sign him. 
it's then up to manager's side, is this the path that he wants to go down? I would be surprised because Matty wants to play. And 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 the the actual idea of um the thought of being a number two, sometimes I used to think about it. What was it what would it be like to be that regular number two every week, to be sitting on the bench? I did it early on in my career and right at the end. So I, I knew what it was like, but then I thought, you know, at, at the time of your career when you're supposedly in your prime, what is it like to, what would it be like to be a number two? Certainly there wouldn't be any more pressure or certainly nowhere near the amount of pressure as when you're playing each week. The expectation is nowhere near as, as high. And you've got, you've got to manage the situation very differently because in, in so many ways, especially mentally, not physically so much, but mentally. And that's the hard bit. The hard bit is not being able to show or at least try and reap the rewards of all the hard work you do during the week on a weekend's game. Cause that's where you reap the rewards by your performance, by, by the satisfaction of performing well, helping your team accomplish something. If you work hard all week, you play, you don't, you don't play. And then come Saturday, you sit on the bench and you watch your teammates play and they win. It's never the same as when you're playing and the satisfaction is, 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 is so different doing it when you're 28 years old, the prime of your career where I'm sure that he still wants to play for Australia, still wants to, uh, he's still got so many goals to, that he wants to accomplish. As a number two, that is very difficult to accomplish. If you look at Danny Vukovic and you look at Mitch Langerak, they're all playing, they're both playing week in, week out and playing really, really well. There's pressure there. Manny won't want to lose his number one spot in the national team, the Socceroos. If he's not playing, even if he's at Arsenal, if he's not playing every week and those two are and they're playing really well, it's a big decision for Graham Arnold to make. Does he go with someone that's not playing all the time, albeit playing in a fantastic club at a top, top level or at a, a top club, playing the odd game here and there? Is that enough for him then to slot in and be number one still for the Socceroos when, I've, when he's got two other goalkeepers playing week in, week out, albeit not at the same level, but still at a very good level? Um, certainly one's playing at the best level in Asia and the other one's playing at, what, what is Belgium? Belgium is probably, I don't know, um, not in the top five leagues, definitely not, but you know, definitely in the top top uh, sort of seven or eight leagues in Europe. Yeah, um, it, It's still a very good level playing international football as well in, in terms of European football. So that's a big problem for, 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 for Matty. Not, not now initially because there's not going to be any games for the national team until, well, I, I can't even see there being any games until at least the summer at the earliest for the national team. So, and if that means that he, that he doesn't get to play in that sort of games, I don't think it's, it's that big a difference. You know, it's not that difficult for him, not so, so bad. But I know when I was in that position at 28 years old, there's no way in the world I would have wanted to go anywhere and be number two. Listen, there's, there's many a people... Many of footballers who have made a career out of being a number two were more than happy to be a number two. You know, we, we, we've got it in, in former goalkeepers who played for Australia. We're very happy to be as number two. And, and at times, it's actually it's definitely easier being a number two. And you can be critical of other people's performances when you're a number two, when it comes to the national team and whether you believe you should be playing or not playing. Um, because you can't be judged on anything because you're not playing every week. Whereas you, you can yeah. very easily point fingers at the other guy who's playing every week. If you say he made a mistake or maybe the team's struggling, oh, well, he's having a bad season. Even if, though, because we know how much he's already said, you know, he grew up an Arsenal fan. When I'm looking at his career now, started at Blacktown City, we know he then went to Central Coast Mariners, comes over to the Belgium League, ironically, of course, played um, for a few seasons at Club Bruges. Uh, went to Valencia, 21 appearances, back to, to Bruges, um, back to Belgium, on loan, went to Genk, then Brighton. So when he gets offered the opportunity to be a number two at Arsenal, surely there it must be a tough decision because I totally understand what you're saying. I, I reckon it must be super frustrating being number two. But when you look at that history, you're thinking this is a kid who probably never thought he'd have the chance to be a number two at Arsenal. And when you consider how long you were able to play for and you think about how long the career of a goalkeeper is at 28. I don't know. You just feel like if you were given the opportunity to, to, to be a number two at Arsenal for three seasons, if he was given a three year contract, I think you'd take it at 28. Arts? No chance. Really? hundred percent. Me personally, hundred percent. No. 
Speaking of which, look, it's uh, I'm looking out the window now and it's beautiful weather. It's time to wrap things up because I need to get outside, Mark. Uh, is it snowing where you are? No, it stops snowing. Beautiful blue skies, sunshine here today. Absolutely magnificent. Honestly, it's been beautiful. Really? A little bit cool, of course, a little bit chilly, um, but it's really nice. Bit of snow on the, on the, on the ground still. Sun. Oh, lovely. St- standing inside um, in my dining room, looking out the window, the, the warmth from the sun coming through was so nice. Oh, yeah, I love that. And just uh, as a reminder for you, because you've got a lot of dogs, um, one of my favourite uh, musical artists, Frank Zappa, Frank Zappa, not sure yeah. if you've heard too much of him, um, but he once famously said in one of his great songs, watch out where the huskies go, don't you eat that yellow snow. So I know what you're like, uh, and I'm sure you can read between the lines, just, you know, I don't think Wear you need that to on your sleeve. The lines and... Mate. <laughs> no, no, very much so. Uh, look, here on the Two Sharp Reds, we know we like to try a bottle of the Burgundy Grape and uh, uh, talk about that bottle of wine and compare it to a player past or present. Of course, bit of controversy, controversy this week as I've gone uh, for a what bottle of... What do you mean a bit? Of... Yeah, that was huge. We almost didn't do the episode. <laughs> when you found out I was trying rum and, and, not, and not wine. Um, but look... Uh, it's it's a one week only deal, uh, but I have gone for a really nice a local rum, Gosling's Amber Bermuda Refined Rum, proudly made in Bermuda. Gosling's Amber is premium oak aged rum that is rich yet smooth, elegant yet full bodied. The versatility of the blend allows it to be savoured neat on the rocks or with your favourite mixer. Now, I don't know much about you with rum or or scotch or whiskey or any of the hard spirits, but I get the feeling you'd find it a, a bit of a hate crime to put it with a mixer. No, see, see, that's where you're no, wrong. So no, no, no. Yeah. See, I, I find it tough at the moment. Like I, uh, whiskey, I love whiskey, right? I really do. That's kind of my advice a little bit. Um, but I'm not really a big fan of drinking it straight. What do you have it with? Don't, don't have it with cake or something. No, I have it with dry ginger ale. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's all right. Yeah. A bit of lime, yeah. bit of lime in it. Uh, ice. So I, Canadian it, club, essentially. Uh, not quite go. Canadian because Canadian club I think is with soda. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it's it's a it's a dry ginger ale. So okay. with scotch and scotch and dry, call it. Okay. Um, with with a lime, but a twist of lime in it. Beautiful, absolutely magnificent. And I, and there's there's two there's two whiskies that I really like drinking with it. So Monkey Shoulder. Yep. Or um, Copper Dog. The Copper Dog, yeah, yes. right. Have you Where's heard of the him? Copper Dog from? No, I've heard of Monkey Shoulder. That's yeah. quite a well-known, but not the Copper Dog. Yeah, Copper Dog. It's kind of the same kind of ilk um, as the Monkey Shoulder, like little um, newer kind of uh, uh, whiskies they brought through blended Scotch whiskey from obviously Scotland. So I love it. <laughs> That's one yeah. thing I've got to do still. So once all this lockdown thing happens, is I want to go to Scotland and do a bit of a whiskey tour. Oh, yes, please. Yeah. You can go visit your great friend, Donald Trump, have a kid on his golf course up there. I certainly won't be doing that, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I like how, you know, you're, you're the best mate of uh, a few episodes ago, Boris Johnson. Uh, now you're the best mate of Donald. Jesus Christ, um, no so chance. So keep it, keep it coming, in my opinion. Uh, no but, thanks. yes, I've gone for the rum, and I'll, I'm, I've got a, a player in mind. But what, what uh, wine have you gone for again? It was uh, so an Italian I've gone for the Orgio, uh, Primitivo, um, and it's a uh, red wine, obviously from Italy, which is very, very tasty. Um, you know, nothing, nothing top shelf, but really, really tasty. Um, packed full of spicy blackcurrant, raspberry fla- uh, fruit flavors, and a rich, velvety finish. Um, the, the thing that gets the thing that I've kind of turned straight to. Forget about the the rich, velvety finish and all that sort of stuff. For me, it was about um, that the ideal with hearty meat dishes and tomato-based pastas, of course, which is great. But the thing that really got me was this all on its own with friends and family. So it was it, it kind of it, this is this is in this is all interlinked with Chelsea, okay. And the fact that obviously it looks like I mean it hasn't been confirmed, but the the realization it looks like it's going to be Thomas Tuchel that's going to be the manager. The, the fact that they haven't gone for someone who's been a hell of a lot more successful and has been heavily linked with the job for a, for a number of seasons now in Massimo Milano Allegri mm-hmm. um, is, is something that um, I think is due to the fact that they've already had two Italian managers of late that didn't quite sort of end very well. 
I think they're a little bit turned off by that. And I think that's why Thomas Teuchel is probably the, the next best thing for them. Um, so in, in honor of uh, Massimo, Massimo Allegri and the fact that he'll still be at home with his friends and family, he can have this bowl of red wine to possibly drink and drown his sorrows with. That is the worst one you've ever done. That really? Is, I yeah, thought it was that, quite clever, actually. I thought it was... How? How? <laughs> well, the, the Mate, fact that, that he's no going to be on his own, yeah, on its own, <laughs> with friends <laughs> or family and family. Okay. So the fact that he's not going to a football club, he's going to be staying in Italy, he's going to be still with his friends and family or on his own, and he's, this bottle is perfect yeah. for him. And okay. it's kind of a bit, a bit like a, you know, drowning sorrows, the fact that he didn't get a chance to, to manage Chelsea. Okay, yeah, well, right don't shoot the messenger. All right, I can't believe you have having a go at me in a week where you're not even drinking red wine. Yeah, but you always wind me up, and that was, you know, not your best, that's all. Okay, um, I'll take it on the chin, the big yeah. chin, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, come on. All right, so I'll, I'll get through this rather quickly, but I've got some good to, uh, dot points here. Premium, it's a premium run. Versatile, and uh, versatile in terms of they talk about it's, it's you know, good, Nice, good with you know, on the rocks, or it's good with a mixture of your choice. Um, the player I'm thinking of is um, certainly at his time, uh, at his current club, I can remember him playing at least two positions, but even I think when he was at Leeds was playing a different one. So very versatile. Um, quality in its age uh, and very good neat. And I think his hair in particular, when you hear, is some of the neatest hair I've seen in, in a long time, uh, you know, gracing the field of the Premier League. So I'm going for James Milner. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think, I mean, it's all ticks, uh, all boxes tick there. That's for sure. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, it's all right. Any thoughts? <laughs> Care to chime in? <laughs> no, I mean, you listen, oh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, listen, I'll give it to you. I mean, it's just I'd... throwing your toys at the pram. Yeah, I see, I, I, I thought you may have like, you know, Done a little bit more thought in it. Um, firstly, oh, stop. As, yeah, right, go on. I'm, yeah. I'm still struggling with the fact that you're not drinking red wine. You're, you're, you've gone for the rum instead. That that I mean, already you should be barred from okay. making a comparison. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. But okay. you know, listen, I'll give it to you. You know, you've got the look going on behind you. You've got that Bermudan yeah. kind of look. You've got the rum. Um, yeah. Oh wow, wow. No, sit back down. No, no, no. Just wow. showing Mark the funky trunks, and I should specify for people playing along at home, when I say trunks, they are shorts and not the smaller versions that, uh, coincidentally, funky trunks do make, but not an ad for <laughs> funky trunks, I should say. Uh, look, that's about all the time we've got for here in the two shut reds, but I should say as well, Mark, uh, you know how you keep pleading people to leave a review? Uh, it's working. And it? I've filtered out all the worst ones, and so we have literally got, you know, T- tens of compliments. <laughs> so honestly, if you're, if you're enjoying uh, the Two Shut Reds, please leave a review. If you're not uh, enjoying Two Shut Reds, leave a review and I'll delete it. So <laughs> I think that works well, don't you? Absolutely, yeah. Make sure you screenshot it before you delete it as well so we can have a bit of a yeah, laugh no. about it. Don't worry, I'm waiting for your birthday. I'll, I'll have a really big collage of all the nice things people say for us. Absolutely magnificent, mate. Great stuff. Well, Mark, cheers, and good luck for the big game against uh, the Trojans and Dandy Town. Yeah, I can't wait, man. That's going to be the highlight of my week this week. Totally. I'm looking forward to it at the end of the week, and um, I think it's the Trojans all, all day long, mate. Fighting talk. Well, we'll see. Cheers, Mark.